Welcome to The Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode 5, The Machinery of the Looking Glass, Part 4, Lessons from Jean-Paul Sartre. It is difficult for me to overstate the importance of Jean-Paul Sartre's existentialist thought on my intellectual development. It may seem strange that an atheistic French existentialist played such a massive role in the machinery of the looking glass, in my turn from atheism back to God. But I do love a paradox. Allow me please to apologize in advance for the difficulty of this material. Sartre's Being in Nothingness is a text of extreme difficulty, and the process of condensing and clearly explaining it is daunting. I hope that the difficulty is justified by the understanding it gives concerning my path to the looking glass, for I am convinced that truth, wherever it is found, leads us to the incarnation and work of Christ. As an opening point from which to begin to unravel this week's episode of The Machinery of the Looking Glass, a quotation from Sartre's Materialism and Revolution is helpful. Quote, it is indeed obvious that the atheism of Monsieur Naville or Madame Engrand is not, quote, the expression of a progressive discovery, end quote. It is a clear and a priori stand on a problem which infinitely transcends our experience. This is also my stand, but I did not consider myself to be any the less a metaphysician in refusing existence to God than Leibniz was in granting it to him. Sartre is bothered here by fellow atheists representing their atheism as, quote, the expression of a progressive discovery. That is, these individuals are representing atheism to themselves and others as something that they know it is not. Knowledge. I understand Sartre's critique now better than I did when I first encountered this essay. But in drafting my dissertation, published in 2004, Sartre's response had a huge impact on me. Atheism, he declares, is a clear and a priori stand on a problem which infinitely transcends our experience. God's existence, that is, is not the sort of problem that can be settled through a, quote, progressive discovery, but only as an a priori stand. To cut to the chase, we can believe that God exists, or we can believe that he doesn't. But we cannot discover it, know it. Claiming otherwise is what Sartre calls bad faith, a form of lying to ourselves. I had been an atheist for about a decade when I first encountered this quotation. I recognized then that I had tried to convince myself that atheism was a truth I discovered. Remember truth above all and at all costs? Rather than a faith position, I chose. This subtle lie is one way in which rationality arrogantly falls for its own constructs, representing free choices as necessary that is, imposed upon us by reality. We have discovered that there is no God. Therefore, we must believe it. 
This is often the procedure of the scientific rationalist seeking to solve the problem of God, asserting that science and rational argument prove there is no God, and why, at some level, I am no longer impressed by arguments for or against God's existence. Theism and atheism begin with an a priori stand on the issue. By contrast, the neutral stance from which one might advance arguments for or against theism is that of the skeptic, the agnostic. From agnosticism, one might be swayed toward or against theism by argument and evidence. But almost never when one stands on one side or the other. Once a metaphysical stance is adopted, evidence and argument for an opposing position is explained away. I do not mean that these arguments have no value. They can certainly function as aids to move the belief structures of those who are open to them, or reinforce the faith of those who doubt, which is inherent in all faith systems. However, both the religious and non-religious can be in bad faith about their faith, as both can think they know when, in fact, they believe that upon which they stand. As a quick side note, I often ponder about Jesus' position in regard to this question. He must have been believing, not knowing, as otherwise his experience would not be fully human, right? What are the implications on this point, if I am understanding it properly? How must we conceive the Incarnation to make space for Jesus as fully divine and fully human? I have no good answers, just interesting questions. Why should we accept Sartre's assertion? Why can't we discover God's existence or his non-existence? Why must the answer to this question come only as an article of faith? What premises does Sartre give to support this conclusion? We are given a hint with which to start laying out the premises in the quotation itself. The problem of God's existence, Sartre here declares, infinitely transcends our experience. And taking a position on it means that one is acting the part of the metaphysician. This shall be our entry point. Metaphysics is the division of philosophy that seeks to explain the nature of reality. For instance, science tells us that our world is composed of almost infinitesimally small pieces of matter called atoms. This theory was actually proposed almost 2,500 years ago by the Greek philosopher Democritus. The term atom comes down to us from the Greek atomon, which means indivisible. Everything around us, Democritus postulated, is made up of these indivisible particles, the smallest building blocks of nature and all the complex variety of things is simply different arrangements of them. When 19th century scientists began to find evidence of particles underlying material existence, they adopted the ancient word, atom. Other Greek philosophers thought that there were four elements from which everything was made, earth, air, water, and fire and that all substances on earth were composed of these in various combinations. 
Those theorists who thought reality consisted of many things are called metaphysical pluralists. Those who thought that all reality could be reduced to one substance, such as water, we call metaphysical monists. Those who thought we needed two fundamental substances are metaphysical dualists. Metaphysics, thus, is a way of explaining the being of the world around us, and it often corrects our experiential notions. We do not, for example, experience atoms. A metaphysician, then, is one who asks what is real, and answers this question. Metaphysical theories abound, as really knowing which theory is correct escapes our best efforts. Science, as successful as it has been, still leaves us with unanswerable metaphysical speculation. Kant cited this fact as one of the reasons it was necessary to, quote, limit the pretensions of reason. For instance, is reality one thing, monism, or many, pluralism? Science has not allowed us to decide. Today, we think of matter as constructed of a particle zoo, of elementary bits, so science supports a metaphysical pluralism, right? Yet Einstein tells us that all matter is reducible to energy. The famous E equals mc squared. So is energy the one thing of which everything else is made, and thus science supports a metaphysical monism? How do we decide that question? We saw last week how Kant limited knowledge to make room for a firm faith. Quote, Although we have to surrender the language of knowledge, we still have sufficient ground to employ, in the presence of the most exacting reason, the quite legitimate language of a firm faith. From Kant's Critique of Pure Reason. Kant is not primarily concerned to establish a religious worldview here, but rather to rescue reason from necessitarianism. The Enlightenment had engendered an attitude of intellectual arrogance that Kant feared would dehumanize us, reducing human freedom and choice, our rationality, to mere mechanism, to natural necessity, determinism. Human rationality is the management of indeterminism, and science held out the promise of eliminating indeterminism in knowledge. Knowledge, that is, has the character of necessity, and faith of possibility. Mixing these realms, what we know and what we believe, can be dangerous. Sartre's project, I argue in my dissertation, is Kant's, but with Hegel as its target, as Hegel renewed the necessitarian challenge on Kant's own turf. It was Sartre, among others, who took up this challenge. Early in Sartre's philosophical career, he adopted as his own the phenomenology of Edmund Husserl. Phenomenology sought to turn our attention from the subject-object duality to an analysis of experience. This emphasis was a limiting factor concentrating the attention not on a metaphysical world to be interpreted, but on the experiences of the subject, and how we must understand them. This phenomenological turn is basic to Sartre's existentialist thought. Sartre's magnum opus is called Being and Nothingness, and in it he examines being from the perspective of experience.
this study, Sartre terms ontology. It is, then, our experience that Sartre examines. From this experience, he seeks to extract a realm of necessary understanding of the nature of being, what he will call a phenomenological ontology. He asks the question, what must being be in order that our experience be what it is? Metaphysics, for Sartre, is something different. In traditional philosophy, the terms metaphysics and ontology are interchangeable. Sartre demands two separate disciplines. Whereas metaphysics often rewrites our experience, treating it as corrigible, Sartrean ontology treats the elements of experience as incorrigible. For instance, Kant feared that the scientific metaphysics of his day threatened freedom by rewriting our experience of freedom as illusory. We may experience ourselves as free, but in reality, that is, metaphysically, we are determined. For Sartre, the experience of freedom is incorrigible. That is, freedom cannot be explained away in an ontological account. If we experience it, we must accept it and account for it at the ontological level. For Sartre, we are our freedom. Utilizing the terminology of Kant and Hegel to explicate our experience, remember we're doing ontology here, not metaphysics, Sartre tells us that there are two sorts of being, the in itself and the for itself. Being for itself is our being, as we are conscious of being in itself. The ofness of consciousness is central here. As phenomenology makes clear, all consciousness is consciousness of something. And for Sartre, being for itself arises as consciousness of being in itself. The for itself, our being, is parasitic. Its being is founded as a presence to being in itself. Being in itself is the fullness of existence around us. Don't think of it, though, in terms of matter. That is a metaphysical understanding. But in terms of what we are conscious of as the foundation of our experience. The in itself is what it is. It is self-coincidence, self-identity. The for itself, by contrast, is what it is not, a lack of identity. It knows itself as presence to in itself, as not in itself as the specific negation of the in-itself to which it is presence. It is this lack of self-identity that makes the for-itself capable of what Sartre labels bad faith. Bad faith is an existential lie to oneself. It can occur when the for-itself seeks to represent itself to itself, and possibly others too, as being in itself, as a self-coincidence. A famous example from Sartre's being in nothingness. A for itself can seek to be a French waiter, doing all the actions and appearances of our ideal notion of the perfect waiter. A for itself, though, is a perpetual presence to being as not being. So, no matter how perfectly one tries to self-identify with being a waiter, the for itself, by its very essence, escapes the in itself it seeks to be. One can play at being, 
since play involves self-consciously not being a waiter, but one can never be a waiter in the mode of the in itself. If you consult your own experience, you have to acknowledge the truth of this point. Any role we seek to fill, we are always conscious of not reaching it, right? We are always conscious also that we are more and other than any role we are assigned by others. We always escape being in itself. Another pattern of bad faith is seen in the quotation with which we opened our discussion of Sartre, when some atheists represented their atheism as a progressive discovery rather than as a faith position. We're now in a position to better understand this point. Certainty in ontology comes from presence to being, from experience. To claim atheism as, quote, the expression of a progressive discovery is to claim that one has not chosen to believe that God does not exist, but that this is a necessity imposed upon them by a presence to being. All faith, though, is self-consciously faith, the experience of choosing from open possibles. And open possibles means that faith understands itself as not present to the being it is choosing to believe, as lacking certainty. In ontology, the concept of God is necessary, though existentially indeterminate, as one cannot encounter the totality that is God. To believe that God does not exist means that one does not know that God does not exist, leaving the open possibility that God does. Atheists that claim their atheism is given to them as certain are thus, for Sartre, always in bad faith. To claim knowledge of this is to, quote, infinitely transcend our experience. To represent what can only be believed as something that is known. We have, then, in Sartre's phenomenological ontology, a concept of God that is present in the very being of the for itself. Each human being pursues this ideal of being, seeking to combine the whole positive being of the in itself with the wholly negative being of the for itself. Quote, the ideal of a consciousness which would be the foundation of its own being in itself by the pure consciousness which it would have of itself it is this ideal which can be called God, from Sartre's being in nothingness. This being, Sartre says, is an impossible being. We here at the Christian Atheists might call it paradoxical, as it is the union of being in itself with a specific negation of being that is the for itself. God is an impossible synthesis of being and negation. And while ontology reveals this God concept, it is always as escaping, and never as realized. Quote from Being in Nothingness. Each human reality is at the same time a direct project to metamorphose its own for itself into an in itself for itself, and a project of the appropriation of the world as a totality of being in itself. Every human reality is a passion in that it projects losing itself so as to found being, 
and by the same stroke to constitute the in itself which escapes contingency by being its own foundation, the ens causa sui, which religions call God. But the idea of God is contradictory, and we lose ourselves in vain. Man is a useless passion. Man, Sartre says, is the project to be God, to found being in themselves. I can think of no clearer presentation of the biblical notion of the sin nature than this, the pride of life, nor a better analog of the arrogance of the intellect we have discussed repeatedly. Knowing ourselves as a lack of being, we seek to be the great I am, to place ourselves in God's position. From this ontological study, then, we can understand our own lack of being. And we know the human project of the in itself, for itself, or God. In this study of Sartrean ontology, we have laid down some vital machinery for the looking glass. First, there are two levels of explanation of being, metaphysics and ontology. In ontology, we are concerned to explain our experience of being. These experiences are treated as incorrigible, as necessary, since we cannot by choice alter them. 2. Because ontology treats our experience as incorrigible, ontological theory must be able to be lived without contradiction. The facts of experience cannot be denied even if they are rewritten at the metaphysical level. If we experience freedom, we are free ontologically. We exist our freedom. Metaphysics, by contrast, can rewrite our experience, but at the cost of necessity in its explanatory function. We can believe ourselves determined, but we experience ourselves as free. It is only in bad faith that we can attempt to live a metaphysics that contradicts our experience, to present it as necessary. Faith is the price we must pay for metaphysics. 3. We encounter the notion of God in ontological analysis, and like all evidence we encounter in our experience, it is incorrigible, and must be accounted for, not explained away. This point also seems to align with anthropology, as theism seems nearly universal in human history. 4. Sartre denies God at the metaphysical level, but understands that doing so is a matter of faith, not knowledge. Ontologically, the concept appears as an impossible, I read here paradoxical, synthesis. But it is also necessary as it is the human project. Thus, we know God, not his existence, as an unrealized totality in our very essence as for itself. 5. As a final consideration, the distinction between existing and believing carries interesting resonance with a principle we've been reiterating in each episode of The Christian Atheist, that if you want to know what people really believe, watch what they do. Don't listen to what they say. Action proceeds most closely from our experience as we live it, and metaphysics is a second-order rationalization of experience. 
Sartre's phenomenological ontology provides some basis for understanding why this is the case. I am a Christian, with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be Christian.